Have you ever had the I can't help it? Have you ever had that? Uh, do, do some of you get that when you get around chocolate? I can't help it. How about a bag of potato chips? I, I can't help it. How about the opportunity to have a Netflix binge? I can't help it. There, there are some that have the I can't help it. In fact, we've all got times in uh, our day or lives when we simply can't help but to do some things when we get near some things. Reminds me of the boy that was out hiking one day and he came upon a bear and it offended the bear. And so the bear started chasing him and he ran as quickly as he could and the bear was gaining ground on him. In fact, he heard the bear getting closer and closer with the growl and uh, he saw a tree ahead of him and he ran towards it but the nearest branch was 15 feet up. Well, he felt the bear's breath on the back of his neck and he jumped as high as he could to reach the limb. He missed the limb, but he caught it on the way back down. (laughs) He couldn't help it. He couldn't help it. The Apostle Paul is much the same way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse number uh, 14. And along with other illustrious persons throughout the uh, centuries, Uh, He had the I can't help it. He was compelled by something. Alexander the Great was compelled by, well, conquest. Thomas Edison compelled by um, invention. Uh, President Reagan compelled with liberty. Liberty from a burdensome government and uh, liberty from uh, the fear of communism. The Apostle Paul was compelled by something that was strong and powerful and overwhelming. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. And what we find in this text is that the love of Jesus Christ for him and for the world compelled him to abandon his whole life for Jesus. Just verse number 14, and we'll look at a larger portion of the text later, but just verse number uh, 14 of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. If you grasp a hold of the love that Jesus Christ has for you in your world, it's going to compel certain behaviors from you. But what are they? Well, there are several things that Jesus loves in this text, and they compel some specific behaviors. Here in this text, Jesus loves your eternity. And second, Jesus loves your transparency. And then third, Jesus loves your liberty. And each of those will compel certain behaviors from each one of us. And the first happens to be this. Jesus loves your eternity, so speak out. Jesus loves your eternity, and his love for our eternity compels us to speak out. Well, that's what the text says here. Now, I was uh, reading recently about uh, levels of membership at Six Flags on the west side of Metro Atlanta. I was curious because my daughter just went with Uh, her law firm recently to uh, Six Flags and got a great deal with parking and entrance and meals uh, for uh, just um, a a pittance of the price. It was really remarkable. So I went on the Six Flags website and I found that now they are promoting and offering levels of membership. There happens to be the Gold Plus membership, $5.99 a month, and you get free unlimited access and uh, a parking pass with every trip, 20% almost off of everything, and priority entrance to the gate. Now, that is gold plus membership. And then there is platinum membership. That's a little more. It's $7.99 
a month. I'm a great commercial for Six Flags, apparently, but I, I was, I'm, I'm going to make a point here. Um, unlimited soft drinks, as unlimited entrances, free parking, and a variety of uh, other things. Then there's the Diamond membership. That's about $11 a month, $10.99 a month. Uh, preferred parking in a Diamond parking lot. Um, you get to skip uh, the line at some of the rides. You can save 35% off of almost everything and access to a water park. Then there's Diamond Elite. That's $16.99 a month. And it's got all of the privileges of the other levels of membership, but 50% off of almost everything. And the best thing, unlimited drinks on every visit. 50% off the food menu. So not only can you sling your guts all over the west side of Atlanta Metro, but you can gain weight too. <laughs> you know what Jesus is trying to do with your eternity and your entrance there? What Jesus is attempting to do in your life, because he loves you and he loves your eternity, is that Jesus is trying to get you to elite status there. He's trying to get you to elite status. It's not enough for him that you have gold plus. Now, your entrance into heaven is free based upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You place faith in him, entrance is gained. However, enjoyment and privilege and responsibility in the future kingdom is based upon behavior and works here. The scripture does imagine believers getting in through fire, yet saved, according to 1 Corinthians 3.15. There are levels of enjoyment, privilege, and responsibility in heaven. And that's what the text is teaching, beginning in verse number 9. Look here with me in verse number 9 through 11. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word there, judgment seat, is bema. The Corinthians, to whom Paul is writing, would be very familiar with the Bema seat. In fact, Paul was drugged before the Bema seat uh, with the proconsul uh, Gallio in Acts chapter 18. And that's where judgments are made. That's where athletes would be reviewed and receive reward. Uh, that is where soldiers would be honored with medals for their hero uh, status and uh, behavior in uh, battle. The Bema seat. Christ has a Bema seat where all believers will be evaluated for their works. Not your sins. If you're a believer, your sins were judged and eliminated at the cross. But this is where our works are evaluated for reward. And all believers must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it goes on to say here that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, this is an awesome thought. That everything we've said, everything we've done, everything we felt, every way we've served, every motive that's pulsated through our heart will appear before him for reward or loss of reward. Not punishment, that was done at Calvary, but for reward. That is an awesome thought. And so he says in verse 11, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Jesus Christ has given us a clear announcement that one thing, everything, one day everything will come before him. And we will spend eternity with the rewards or loss of reward, if we know Christ, based upon what we've done. Based upon what we've done. 
And knowing that, he's given us a way to improve our reward or membership status. Membership is given by the death and resurrection of Christ and our trust in that, our soul trust in that. But status, whether gold plus or platinum or diamond or diamond elite, depends upon our works, our growth, our obedience to him. And look specifically what he says in verse number 11. Look there carefully. Knowing therefore the fear or the terror of the Lord, we what? We persuade others. We urge others to come and give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. So first, we speak. We speak out. We tell the truth and the good news of the gospel of Christ. But then we go a little further. And that is we try to persuade others. Now you may be saying to yourself, well, does that mean I need to hover over and harass people? Well, no, I hope you won't do that. But what that does mean is that you share the gospel and politely and sweetly and tenderly urge them to give their hearts and lives to Christ. If they say no, you've got to move on to someone that is receptive. And so you're saying, you mean to tell me I've got to speak to others about Jesus and actually invite them to receive Christ as Savior? Well, you were doing something similar yesterday. Oh, you were trying to convince people of just how rotten a team the University of Tennessee is. And despite the multiplied national championships, now 17, you're still trying to convince people how awful a place the University of Alabama is. What'd I tell you? Oh, yeah, you're trying to persuade people about all sorts of things. Oh, absolutely. How about Jesus? How about Jesus? That's why what we've got coming up October 21st through the 24th with Ronnie Hill is so imperative and so important. Now, I hope that what you'll do is that you'll grow to the point where you can create your own opportunities to share the good news with others and not depend on us. You really need to do that. Uh, But if you struggle... Or if you don't, we've got some opportunities. The week before Ronnie arrives, October 14th through the 20th, we're asking church members to fast and pray. And on the 14th, we'll ask you to specify a day when you will fast and pray. And if your doctor is okay with it, we want you to participate in that. God will bless if we fast and pray. He hears our prayers. And then, uh, Sunday morning of October 21st, each one needs to bring one. Let me ask you something. If this doesn't apply to you, you don't have to raise your hand. But do any of you have any friends? Let me see your hand if you got friends. Good. Well, each one of you with friends, bring one. Now, if you don't have any friends, try to make some between now and then, okay? Yeah. And if you need some help with that, we'll, we'll do it, all right? But uh, each one bring one. Sunday night, our Sunday school classes are going to slam pack the place with all of their members, and they're going to seek to reach some goals for that evening. And every evening at 6 o'clock, we'll have a pre-service meeting where uh, we will try to gather people. And then at 7 o'clock each night, including Sunday night, we will have our services, and uh, Ronnie will be preaching and speaking. Last time Ronnie was here, we baptized 24, and 17 of them are faithful and active in a local church. Uh, 15 of them here, two someplace else, about six I can't account for. But uh, we did try to follow them up. But then on Wednesday night, we've got our steak night. We had more than 400 people slam pack our gymnasium for uh, that particular night three years ago when Ronnie was here. $3 tickets for the best ribeye in Clark County, and that is saying a lot. I'm going to buy a bunch of tickets, and I'm going to get them to friends then. But this is an opportunity then for you to persuade others to turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and God will use it. 
I, I don't know what it is. But simply the preaching of the word and prayer, desperation, tears before God, and God will come through with his promise every time. Hey, Jesus loves eternity. He loves your eternity. He's trying to improve it. And just think of what he's trying to do for the whole world. Jesus loves their eternity as well. And he's trying to save them. So that, that's the first thing. Christ's love for our eternity compels us to speak out. But there's a second thing found in verses 12 and 13. And that is Christ's love for our transparency compels us to shine out. It compels us to shine out. Now, Paul is struggling with an issue here with the Corinthians. There have been interlopers that have come in, and they are disrupting and interrupting his ministry in Corinth, and they are undermining Paul. And Paul has to communicate to them the integrity of his ministry. And he says, I'm going to give you some ammunition here to defend my ministry so that you'll have cause and reason to stand with me in this time. And some of the things that they were saying about Paul is, Paul is unsophisticated. Paul's not with it. Paul is uh, not hip enough. Paul is not this, that, and the other thing. In fact, Paul's out of his mind at times. And, and that's the way it is with some of those folks there. Well, the congregation was divided, and some of them were saying, no, it's perfectly reasonable what he's doing. It's consistent with the Old Testament. It's consistent with what we know of the Gospels. It's consistent with apostolic authority. No, that's not it at all. And this debate is reflected in verses 12 and 13. Look there with me. Look what he says. He says, For we do not commend or promote ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, in a good way, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not the heart. These people that were challenging the Apostle Paul were folks that appeared to be very capable and very reputable. They spoke well. They were with it. They were keeping up with all the modern fashions. They would please the elite crowd in Corinth. They had an appearance, but they didn't have any fruit in their ministry. They were misguiding and misleading the Corinthians. They were introducing doctrinal problems in the church. In the name of Christ, they were. Paul was saying, hold on just a minute. I don't have all of that. What I do have is I've got a heart. I've got a heart. And he really did not have to elaborate much on that at all. He really didn't have to defend it. One thing you could not say about the Apostle Paul is that he did not have a heart for Jesus or the gospel or the world. You couldn't say that about it. And no one was charging him with that. In fact, what they were complaining about is that they were complaining that sometimes when Paul showed up, he wouldn't take a love offering from them. That's what they were complaining about, that he would preach the gospel for free. Now, that's probably the first and last time that complaint's ever been made, but that's what they complained about with the Apostle Paul. And then he says in verse 13, if we are beside ourselves, as some people say, if we're crazy, if we're outrageous, if we're taking this too seriously, if we're too extravagant, if we're too zealous, it's for God. And that's clear. But if we are of a sound mind, as some of you are saying, it's for you. I've got a heart, Paul says, and to some of you I appear as if I'm crazy and out of my mind. I'm taking this too seriously. I'm too zealous. I'm unreasonable. If that's the case, I'm doing it for God. 
That's on my heart. And you can see it. If, however, I am of a sound mind, if I've got this right, that's clear. And it is for you. You know, sometimes we preachers think that half the people who listen to us think of us like some did of Paul in Corinth, that we're taking this too seriously. We do. That may or may not be justified. Don't know. But I will be honest with you. I've spoken in a lot of crowds through the years, and I've looked at folks, and with the body language and the visible physical feedback, the facial expressions, I am certain they think I have a snake on top of my head. Especially when I try to define the church in biblical New Testament terms. There are some people that think church should always be what it was when they were coming up and growing up. And some places, churches should be that. It converges with that. But not always. You know, we always need to grow and we need to change. Um, Some think that uh, churches need to be like a religious retailer, know their market and provide religious products to them and satisfy them. And what's interesting is that they never come to the point where they start defining the church as a place that goes gangbusters and is thrilled with satisfying Jesus and doing his mission. Now, we do that here at Beach Haven. We don't live and exist for members. We don't live and exist for anyone else. We do that for Jesus. Now, there are places where member interests converge with those of Jesus Christ, obviously. But the best thing we can do for church members and all followers of Christ is get their eyes off themselves and on to Jesus. And not acting like the typical middle-class religious person who operates within the legalistic or the or the intense boundaries of the middle class because they're afraid of acting outside the boundaries that the middle class has prescribed for how religious people ought to act. We want to blow those away to smithereens. Blow them away. Every human standard eliminated and Jesus Christ, as defined in the New Testament, embraced thoroughly and passionately with everything we've got. Now again, some of you were doing this yesterday. Oh my goodness, the zeal, the heart, the thrill. I could have said about you, some of you, what they said about Paul in verse 13. Sure enough. In fact, I want you to look at the screen. Come here. And I'm crazy. I don't mind people getting thrilled and excited about their team, especially when they've got a good reason to, and Georgia does. I'm a Texas A&M fan. Our mascot is a dog as well, Reveille. She's a dignified collie. (laughs) She is commandant of the Corps of Cadets at A&M. 
if she's in, and she goes to class every day, and if she barks, class is dismissed. Lots of things. I, I don't mind people getting thrilled and excited about uh, their football team. What concerns me, though, is that when people are thoroughly willing to make fools of themselves for their team, and they don't have a passion and zeal for Jesus, they're operating according to the strictures and boundaries that the middle class has set for them. See, The text says something else. Listen, if you love Jesus, just let the world know it. Don't be bound up in that bondage. Don't, don't be constrained and constricted by what others expect of you and what they say is appropriate and inappropriate. If you love Jesus, let the world know. Communicate his good news. Share with them. Look, do you know something? The, the way social group and social theory works, there are enough people here in this facility that if you began to share the good news of Christ and your love for Jesus, if we all did it in mass with just this group of people here, over the next 24 months, we could so shape the mindset of the Athens region that people would start to think that the Christian center of the state is right here. There are enough people here to make that happen. If consistently, on a daily basis, we shared the good news, shared our love for Christ, and let the world know of our zeal for him, it could make a difference. Listen, Jesus loves that kind of transparency. He said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus loves transparency. And so we shine out. But there's a third thing. Jesus loves, Christ loves your liberty and that compels us to sell out. Christ's love for our liberty compels us to sell out. Do you know what it means to sell out? That's oftentimes used today in a negative way, but it really is a, a commerce term that has a positive reference. For example, uh, my grandfather uh, founded and owned and operated Navigation Electric in Houston, Texas, not far from the Houston Ship Channel. And he was an electric engineer. And he founded a business and grew it, and he worked it through the years. Uh, most of his work was done on ships in the Houston Ship Channel. And uh, he, did, uh, he did some other electric to begin with, but uh, uh, the, the last many years of his uh, business, he focused uh, exclusively on the ships that came into the Houston Ship Channel, and they came from all over the world. And so he had to be familiar with an awful lot of um, uh, uh, foreign elements that go into powering uh, the electrical systems on ships. When he retired... He sold out to his partner, Billy, and whose last name I forget. But when he sold out, he gave up the name of the business, Navigation Electric. He gave up the property and the building. He gave up all the contents of the building. He gave up the accounts because Billy purchased them all from him. He sold out. And the moment the contract was signed... Everything was sold, and my grandfather had no more control over the electric company. And he was glad. He was happy to sell it out when he turned about 65, 67, somewhere around there. He sold out. He sold everything and stepped away from it is what he did. Jesus Christ loves our liberty, and it compels us then to sell out to Jesus. 
everything to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul makes that clear here in this text, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That there are three items of liberty mentioned here. One is liberty from senselessness, thoughtlessness, superficial thinking, senselessness. Paul said, Jesus died and we judge this way. We evaluate these things this way. We come to some conclusions this way. When you sell out to Jesus Christ, he gives you insight and access to his own way of thinking about life. Did you know that if you sell out to Jesus Christ, he gives you access to all of these things and you can actually make decisions in your life as if Jesus was standing in your shoes and making the decision for you. And does it get any better than that? I mean, you can marry right you can parent children right. You can make the right decision about majors. You can make the right decision about retirement. You can make the right decision uh, about vocations. You, you can make the right decision that uh, of anything that comes along that's significant to your life if you have the mind of Christ and access to it. And Jesus gives it to those who sell out to him, relinquish everything and give him control. So there's liberty from senselessness. Being a person who constantly and continually makes mistakes. There is hope for you when you sell out to Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing, and that is it gives you liberty from sin, from your own sin. He said, we, we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, a mysterious and mystical death happened to every believer as well. When Jesus died on the cross, if you're a believer, then all of your sins were crucified with him as well. They were eliminated, and you now get to be free before God without any guilt if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Listen, with sin, you may interrupt the fellowship and the intimacy and closeness with God, but you will never, ever change the relationship with him. It can't happen. Because that part of you is dead and it's still in the tomb where Jesus was buried. So he died for all, therefore all died with him. So you get liberty from sin and liberty from uh, senselessness, but then you get liberty from self as well. Hey, do you know who the most miserable person in the world is? The person who is always thinking about self. Uh, about self-needs about self's wants, about self's disappointments. May I say to you, when you sell out to Jesus Christ, He sets your focus and concentration on Him and the world. And may I say to you, praise and service to Jesus is very, very therapeutic. Now, don't do it for that reason. Do it because He commands and He's worthy of it. But I have to say to you, a byproduct of that is enormous peace. Because, listen, you can sell out to Jesus because Jesus has sold out to you. He's abandoned himself by dying and rising again. So the text says in verse 15, so that th those for whom he died no longer live for themselves, but for him who, who died and rose again. You can sell out to Jesus. You, you can forget all of your needs. You can forget all of your wants. You can forget your hurts and frustrations. You, you can place those in his hand, give them to him, 
and live for him and be free from every one of them. Listen to me. Your needs are absolutely none of your business. Your decisions are absolutely none of your business. The matters of your life are absolutely none of your business. Do you know what your business is? Jesus Christ and his will. You take care of that and Jesus Christ is going to take care of the needs. He's going to take care of your business. You can abandon yourself. You can sell out to Jesus everything you are. Because he has sold out to you. And I want to tell you, I've been walking with him a long, long time. And Jesus Christ never fails. Never does. And so, his love for liberty compels us, it does compel us to, uh, uh, to give ourselves entirely and completely to him in a sellout to him. We who, for whom he has died no longer have to live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. It reminds me of a morning that a pastor was telling of. He said a man, uh, one of his church leaders, walked into the church building with a political pen on his lapel, advocating a candidate, a certain presidential candidate. And he uh, met him and quietly said, you know, you might want to remove the pen. He said, how come? He said, because uh, we may have some people here who don't know Christ and they don't like that candidate. And that could hinder them from giving their hearts and lives to Christ and offend them so badly that that could happen. The man said, well, he's a good candidate. He said, I'm sure he is. But our priority is not to encourage people to vote for a certain candidate, but to commend Christ and his gospel to others. And the man thought about it. He said, you know what, Pastor, you're right. That's entirely true. People are not Republicans and they're not Democrats. They are sinners for whom the Savior died. And that's what's most important. You know something? I think it's a good thing to be politically involved. I do. I think as good Christian citizens, we need to. So being politically involved is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. There is a difference. There is a difference. The best thing is to commend Jesus to the world. So listen, you need to understand. Not only are we to abandon drunkenness, not only are we to abandon sexual immorality, not only are we to abandon the obvious things that are a terrible scandal and blight upon one's reputation, the church and Christ, not only are we to abandon those things, but ladies and gentlemen, we are also to take good things and put them in their place under the best thing, which is Jesus Christ and his hope and promise of eternal life to the world. That's what we're calling folks to. Not just the obvious things, but the things that may not be so obvious, you see. That's what it means to sell out to Jesus Christ. In other words, if Jesus has got a priority, we embrace it with everything we've got, and we don't let even good things become alternatives or rivals to that best thing. We sell out to Him. Now, I need to let you know, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to invite you 
to sell out to Jesus Christ, to, to embrace Him, to trust Him. For some of you, this will be the first time you've ever considered this. And what we're urging you to do is to come with three things to Him. Come with your guilt. Come with your eternity. And come with your life. And entrust Jesus Christ with it all. And He is worthy and trustworthy because He died and rose again. We're encouraging you to do that. But you need to know up front that if you come to Him, He's going to do with you what He's done with everyone else in the building. And He's doing now. And that is, He intends on moving you to a point where everything in your life is sold out to Him. He's going to work on you in such a way that He puts you in the maximum place with the maximum opportunity to have liberty in Him. Liberty from senselessness, liberty from sin, liberty from self. That's what He's going to do. Then He's going to urge you and build you into a person that is transparent with your faith and your love in Jesus Christ. He's going to do that. In other words, the expectations of the middle class or upper class or lower class world are not your expectations. He's going to obliterate those and replace them with his will. He's going to do that if you come to him today. You've got to know that up front. So he's going to maximize your liberty. He's going to maximize your transparency. And then he's going to maximize your eternity. He's going to build you in such a way that eternity is at diamond elite membership. That's what he's going to do. So as you come today, don't hold anything back. Give it all. Surrender it all. Yield it all. And if that's you, you come. You come. Some of you have received Christ and you're ready to do that with church membership. You come. We live and exist for Jesus and his mission. You come. God wants you here. God's calling some of you to preach the gospel, to go into full-time vocational ministry. You come. You surrender. You yield it all. Bow it all before him. Would you quickly stand with me, please? Let me pray, and we will receive you this morning as you come.